This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, now adventure is outdoor learning and taking a leaf out of the European concept of forest schools. Oh, I like that already. Our guest is Kelly Mowat from Timbernook, Wellington, an innovative nature-based camp for children, which now has three locations across the country. Kelly Mowat's a psychologist and believes in the physical and mental benefits of getting kids into the outdoors, taking reasonable risks and playing freely. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good, it's been a challenge, hasn't it, with the health and safety stuff and um, a lot of, particularly for businesses and schools, a lot of concerns about providing safe environments, but the point of play, to some extent, is getting a little unsafe. And I'm sure anyone uh, working in this space sort of has come up against this. Where's the concept from uh, Timbernook come from? Has it come from overseas initially? It is. Initially it was started by our fam- founder, Angela Hanscom. So she's over in America where they've noticed uh, a big sort of uh, outbreak, I guess, of children being wrapped in cotton wool to say stay safe and they're no longer having that freedom to get outside and play like we used to perhaps when you think back to your childhood many Kiwis remember growing up outside and mums and dads rushing you out the door to go and play freely in the outdoors. That's (laughs) quite right. Yeah and so what has been, so this was started uh, in the States on on the premise that this has gone too far, this Mm -hmm. has swung too far and what was the concept that was developed out of that to create a space? Because a lot of this is to do with urbanisation as well, oh, isn't it? You know, absolutely. Really intensive urbanisation, removal of um, safe playing areas for kids or open. And in New Zealand also the demise of the old, you know, quarter-acre section as well. Yeah, well, Angie's an OT and um, she really wanted to be an agent for change and seeing longer recess for kids at school, kids being able to play outside and take you know, risks and really believes in the things that children can uh, gain from the natural environment. So a lot of nature programs are all about teaching children about nature. We sort of take it a step further where the child is gaining from nature as well. So you're looking at that reciprocal relationship between the two. She is a paediatric occupational therapist, I think. That's correct. And so when you're going to design something like this and you've got a lot of factors in play, including as a business setting up and having to deal with safety issues, mm-hmm. with reasonable safety issues, when and how did she develop what Timbernook's become? become? Did she sort of sit down and plan it out or did she sort of evolve it? No, I think it was quite an organic process. She has children herself. Um, she talks in her book, Balanced and Barefoot, about noticing some differences in her childhood 
child and difficulties they were having once they reached the school setting. Such as? Well, difficulties sitting still, difficulties attending in the classroom and being comfortable in that environment. So had they come from a very outdoorsy preschool environment? No, they hadn't. They hadn't either. That's the interesting thing. And so when they hit school, she started thinking, hang on a minute. Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Mm. And as an OT, and that is her background, Mm. she had a little look at what was happening and why her child, and why just in general, talking to teachers that she was familiar with, new teachers around the environment, that observation that a lot of children are fidgeting more than usual, having difficulty holding pencils. So straight away do we go to where is my device, where is my iPad, or is it more that kids need to run around? Again, if we do the dreaded back in my day, Mm -hmm. get outside of a lunchtime and run around. Absolutely. I mean, Angie noticed the theme was... Um, parents were driving their kids around okay. many different activities. Mm. She was going to classes with her children that were to enhance certain abilities. But in doing that, she'd probably missed some of those simple things of the children playing outside, grabbing things, having to use self-initiation to create different activities like that, and having that physical outlet of being outside and moving around. Another, and I've talked to some of the outdoor rec folk who talk about the issues now when kids are at high school and going on some um, outdoor activities that do carry a matter of risk, and again, that has to responsibly be planned for. But Absolutely. things like coordination that you do get if you climb trees or ride bikes and peripheral vision that you mm-hmm. develop, uh, they notice that some of those skills are a bit less innate than they might have expected from, again, back, back, back a few years earlier. All mm-hmm. right, so when she decided that she wanted to do something about this. What was the what was the next step? What was the, the, the first sort of environment that I she created? I think she got her children out. She's lucky enough to have a forest environment. Her mm. house is surrounded by forest. She got her children outdoors. Over the first year, I think she noticed the positive change in her own children. She thought, well, look, I can provide this to other children. So she started running holiday programs, and the interest grew and grew. Now there's over 20 providers in America. We've got the wonderful Wendy Perry, who heard about this from New Zealand, who made the move to travel over there and learn from Angie and bring that back to New Zealand. And we've got the three providers, as you said, now across New Zealand and some coming across Australia. What's unique about it? Because I've spoken to others as well, and Mm. ironically... American again, who have run big online um, campaigns essentially to get kids outside again, both mm-hmm. to be in the natural environment, to experience the stimulus of the natural environment, and mm-hmm. to move. So there's a there's a bit of a movement on the go. Um, what is it that is um, that you've built into this concept? What's it sort of modelled on, and are the forest schools the sort of the the hint here? Yeah, absolutely. It's drawing on forest school. For Timbernook, our philosophy is allowing children to get out into nature and to have time and space. That's something that's a very simple concept. But children are missing in today's society. They're running around doing a lot of things. Parents themselves, carers themselves, might not have that time and space. So as well as having a structured part of our program, we have a lot of value placed on the unstructured part of the program where children are given the time and space to play naturally and freely in that environment of the great outdoors. So in this case, you're out in the Belmont Regional Park, I think. That's quite right, the Stratton Street entrance there. How are children and how are families fitting this into those schedules? Because, gosh, it just keeps adding up, doesn't it? I mean, the Mm. school testing going on these days, the the workload, the home workload of, of high school kids in particular... 
uh, and also the extracurricular uh, activities. Children, as you say, are very, very scheduled. So what does your program look like? If someone comes along to it, what, what's the format? How does it happen? We started out with school holiday programs. So they run similar to the hours of a school day, nine till three. So that's six hours where that child comes into the outdoor environment as an, and it's is empowered. a long time these days, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And parents, I myself, I'm a parent, I don't have, unless I'm working, six hours to stand there and allow my child to go free and play and children come along for a full week program primary school aged children where they'll have Monday to Friday nine to three engaged in the outdoors having the autonomy to choose what they want to do with their play and to follow their own interests which is natural learning particularly different ages what will they do with that time our younger ones, our most popular program is the storybook program. So that'll begin with us reading a story with the children that will um, and ignite their curiosity to go and play in the outdoors. This week I've read The Gingerbread Man and the children have been cutting out gingerbread shapes, covering them with peanut butter and bird seed, hanging those in the forest for the birds. Obviously we go out into nature, the kids are scanning the trees, working those eye muscles, walking over uneven terrain to hang up their bird feeders that they've created. They're learning about giving to nature and supporting the birds in doing that. And then, of course, they've walked down, they've seen the stream, there's no holding them back. They run into the stream, they're creating dams, they're making huts. These are our younger ones. It's a lovely program, and they're right from babies, right from birth to age six that are out there playing in that environment. See, straight away when you hear stream... You're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, what's the safety plan? Because this is a matter, isn't it? Especially when Absolutely. you are an organised program and you're taking on the responsibility of someone else's kids. How have you had to deal with those, um, uh, first of all, with those responsibilities, but also with the legal obligations? Absolutely. I think it's part, a big part of it when you're looking at uh, health and safety risk is to look not only at the risk, but the loss that a child might experience if we mitigate against that risk. If we say don't go into that stream. The stream's for looking at, not playing in. What is the loss to their development and their curiosity going to be in saying that? I mean, we're fortunate the stream we have is a shallow, slow-moving stream that's not going to go above knee height. But, of course, drowning is on our health and safety risk list, so that needs to be monitored. We believe in educating a child and allowing them through reasonable risks to learn safety in that environment. The hut building, I was away somewhere, must have been Waitangi weekend, and I was just absolutely stoked out on a big walk and there were huts everywhere, real huts up in trees, big old houses with rooms in them, bits everywhere, and you just thought, oh, if someone came along here with a with a clipboard, there'd be trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what happens with your hut building? Well, we had a fantastic program this summer, which um, has actually come out of uh, um, activity that's very common, um, a, a Dutch activity. We called the program Village Folks, and we collected recyclables from everywhere. So think sort of large crates and pallets, and we had, these are the older children, so our older primary school age children, maybe through to about 13, 15 years of age, so the younger secondary that, ones as well. They come that old, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Those mm. kids are thrilled to get out there around the fire pit and tramping in, uh, in the outdoors. But they created, in that week, their own village. So day one, they're out there with hammers, nails, learning how to tie ropes, 
and building those huts themselves. And part of that is learning also how are they going to safety test that? What are they going to look, need to look at when they're hammering a nail correctly? Are they leaving sharp pieces that are pointing out that are likely to injure someone else? The children all follow the principles of looking after themselves, looking after others and looking after nature. So really letting them be proactive in learning some of those safety principles. But then, of course, the play just grows from there. By the end of the week, the children were operating out of their village. They had shops. They had their own language. They had their own currency. It's <laughs> they were a lot conlanging. Of fun. I love it. We heard about <laughs> conlanging last week. Love it. So it builds and builds. In some ways, it's almost, I think, if you think of some of the organised um, institutions that have done this, something like uh, Scouts or whatever, mm-hmm. it's giving a little bit of that, but they don't have to be committed to, you know, months, years of, of commitment in some ways. But it's providing some of those skills, some of that experience. And as you say, it's very much the kids lead it. It's not, here's our curriculum, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and we're going to show you how to do this. They, yeah. they kind of lead what happens. Absolutely. You've hit on probably two key differences there. One is that the child-led element. As I said, we've got that unstructured portion of our program where the children really are empowered to lead and follow their own way. The second way we differ from scouts and other organisations like that is probably in our curriculum-based area. It's put together by a large range. I mean, we've got uh, over 20 Um, sites practicing across America and the three in New Zealand, others coming on board, we have health and educational backgrounds. So what we're looking at there is not just the learning objectives for the children. I'm a psychologist, Wendy's a movement consultant, we have OTs, podiatrists, physios, all with their knowledge from their background training about, hey, what they think they could support a child to learn in this environment. We share that knowledge and put the program together So we're looking at the whole child development, not just perhaps educational learning or knowledge about the outdoors. How does it work as a business? I presume it's not for free. You'd love it to be, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's absolutely it. And uh, there's two elements of the business. One is being that agent for change, empowering parents and educating parents about uh, risks. But no, it's run as a private company and children are coming along and paying a fee, not dissimilar to other holiday programs. Other areas now opening up. So the second one is in Hawke's Bay. Mm-hmm. Hawke's Bay was our founding one in New oh, okay. Zealand. Oh, I beg your pardon. And whereabouts mm. in Hawke's Bay? Uh, they are in Mariah Kākāhō, oh, which neat. is a great little setting yeah. uh, there in a forest full of uh, swings and uh, lots of lovely animals that you'd imagine to be in the farming community there. And hoping, hoping to or have just opened in Christchurch? We have just opened in Christchurch. Um And a lovely area to support there in Christchurch because, of course, they've just had the uh, fires where the Christchurch uh, site has been near to. They border on to the Adventure Park. Right. They were lucky not to have been hit by those fires, so they are operating and in uh, full business. So it's a great area to get out and support. I mean, Christchurch is feeling the loss of that nature and trees. Isn't it? I know. Yeah, Yeah, and it's that's one area there uh, that um, Timpanook's there to facilitate families getting out and being part of nature. You're a psychologist. And, and you, I think your experience is not only as a psychologist, but child and adolescent health is your thing. Yeah. Uh, and what, what what would you say? I mean, it's, I don't want you to generalise. Um, mm. A professional wouldn't, I suppose. But but when you break it down to that kind of analysis, mm-hmm. what have you seen missing in the way many of our kids' lives have become for multiple reasons? Mm-hmm. 
those damn screens included, the busyness of, um, you know, family life being another, resources mm-hmm. being another. Um, what what have, what would you identify as the things that we really need to put back into their lives somehow when it comes yep. to their development? Some of it, as we said, is straight-out skill development yep. and confidence development, mm-hmm. and the other is that creative use of the imagination, mm-hmm. but in a physical way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think... If I was to pick one thing, probably looking at the psychological features, it would be resilience. I think if we're going to look at something that we can give to our children and develop in our children that is going to guard them against life as it is and life that we can't necessarily predict what it's going to be like because things are changing so fast now, uh, playing in the outdoors is a great way for children to learn self-confidence and build resilience. The simple thing in playing outdoors year-round where children are exposed to all the different elements of um, weather. I mean, it's the children actually really hesitate to get out in um, all different types of weather. It's more a parental um, concern. But the children learn by simply going out in the rain, not the fun they're having, but that it's okay. They can get wet. They're all right. They feel that positivity and achievement in going out and doing that. It's also something else, isn't it? There is something healing about the natural world. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly in these times where all of us are so overwhelmed by so much incoming stimulus. I said this, I can't remember where... Uh, in a conversation recently, you know, we're everywhere. We're everywhere mm-hmm. a bomb is dropped. We're everywhere a plane crashes. Mm-hmm. We're everywhere an election happens. Mm-hmm. And we are personalising those stresses in a way that we never did when we were a less connected world. So that's a lot of incoming to our psyches. Mm-hmm. But being in the natural world, which just tends to move that much more slowly in many ways, mm-hmm. that, that, that literal kind of natural sense of the seasons and the constancy mm-hmm. um, of these things, even as you say, it's a rough old life in the forest too. It's healing. It's grounding. We like to call it therapeutic. Mm. It absolutely is. Um, we have no cell reception at our site, which challenges um, some, but it's a great opportunity for staff and um, all the kids and families that join us just to slow down and get back to that pace of the outdoor it's also becoming a bit of a frustration for wilderness lovers that it, the wilderness, the genuine wilderness, where there's not a chopper flying past mm-hmm. or a motorway just over there mm-hmm. uh, or someone, you know, bless, we love to share our resources, but, you know, like 50 people piling down your mm-hmm. track in the forest in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's fine. It's harder and harder to find, isn't it? That sense of just you and the natural world. I think it is. Um, we're a little spoilt in New Zealand with the amount of uh, public space we have that sometimes you can still find absolutely empty to enjoy. And that's something that's important for people to take advantage of when they can. Thank you. Kelly Mowat is with Timbernook Wellington. Thanks for coming in this morning. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 